From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thanks for joining us on Space Nuts, the astronomy uh, podcast with me, Andrew Dunkley, your host, or at least that's what I think they refer to me as. I've been called many things in my life. And from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, Fred Watson. Hello, Fred. (laughs) Hi, Andrew. It's uh, great to be joining you on this uh, podcast again. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Thank thank you for that. I feel better now. (laughs) And Merry Christmas, by the way. We're in the Christmas season and... uh, you know, everybody's busy and probably haven't got much time to sit down for 20 minutes to listen to a podcast, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. That's right. Mm. <laughs> now, today we're going to look at uh, this incredible discovery that's been made using uh, satellites, spacecraft that are orbiting Earth to basically measure our magnetic field. And what they think they've found is a jet stream, but not a jet stream in the atmosphere, a jet stream inside the planet which is astounding. So we'll talk about that. The dwarf planet Ceres, uh, a new discovery there, and uh, another planet, um, well, a, another moon of a, uh, an outer planet, uh, a moon of Saturn that disappeared after being discovered in 2013, and now we've found it again, or it's come back. We're not sure. Maybe it went on holiday to Neptune. But first, Fred, let's, uh, let's take a look at this, uh, this amazing story about uh, Earth's outer core and, and this jet stream phenomenon that they seem to have discovered. Uh, it, it, exactly. It's a fantastic thing, this. I, um, you know, I, I look, I, I just get staggered by the stuff that we learn every day um, by virtue of all the space experiments and all the research that's going on particularly in this planetary science and astronomy, um, it is mind-blowing. And this one blew my mind when I read it. Uh, And it's exactly as you've said. It's a bit of an analogue of the jet stream in the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, uh, Near the poles, there are very fast, uh, high-circulating winds that whiz around the planet's uh, the, the planet's um, poles, actually not that close to the poles, but they're concentrated, uh, you know, to the north and to the south of the equator, certainly. Uh, and we, we're all familiar in Australia with uh, with um, pilots of aircraft telling us they've got in the jet stream. So you do it from uh, Perth to Sydney in 20 minutes rather than yes. uh, the four hours or something that it normally takes. Likewise, there's a jet stream in the northern hemisphere as well. And that is used uh, similarly by transatlantic pilots, they get up into the jet stream and whiz across from the United States to Europe. Uh, But how unexpected that in the other major fluid body uh, on the Earth, which is the outer core of the Earth, 
there is another jet stream. Um, that, uh, to me, is mind-boggling. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I think it's a remarkable discovery. How, well, first of all, how has this been discovered? Mm. Uh, um, it, it's clearly not something you can go and tinker around with directly. The, the outer core of the Earth is about 3,000 kilometers beneath the surface. So um, the way the Earth is structured, uh, we live on the crust, which is pretty thin, in fact. We sometimes call it the lithosphere. Um, it's only 50 kilometers thick, something like that. Then there is this um, mantle, uh, which is below the crust. That is uh, sort of plastic uh, rock. It's rock that's fairly soft. Then beneath that is the uh, molten core of the Earth. And the outer uh, few thousand kilometers uh, of that is uh, molten iron. Uh, but in the center, it's thought to be solid iron because the pressure is so high. Uh, that the iron re-solidifies. And so what you've got is this kind of circulation between the, the solid iron core and the molten iron core. And we think that's where the Earth's magnetic field comes from. Mm. So to cut to the chase, the uh, European Space Agency uh, has a, a set of satellites which are called Swarm. Uh, I can't remember how many of them there are. I think there are probably three, but it might be more than that. Um, these are spacecraft which work together but they have very, very sensitive magnetometers on board. So what they're doing is mapping the magnetic field of the Earth and ma mapping the way it changes. And it's because of that uh, that these uh, discoveries have been made, that first of all, there is this uh, rapid current uh, jet stream, uh, which is underneath, basically under Alaska and, and Siberia. The odd thing is it's going westwards. It's not going eastwards like the, the uh, atmospheric jet stream is going. That's all. Uh, this this one's going westwards. But um, I, I guess all bets are off when it comes to the circulation of the of the core of the Earth. The, the Earth's core, of course, is rotating itself west to east, but this, uh, because it participates in the uh, overall ro rotation of the Earth, but this jet stream's moving the other way. Mm. Um, it's... Uh, they describe it as fast, and by fast, they mean 50 kilometers a year, uh, which sounds like um, a bit of a crawl, really. But in geological terms, that is enormously fast. It means there's, this stuff is swishing around underneath our feet. 50 kilometers a year, of course, is a kilometer a week. Yes. Uh, so, um, so it is relatively fast. But the other thing is its width, um, that they think this jet is around... 420 kilometers wide, and they suggest it goes halfway around the planet. So it's a really um, very important uh, discovery in terms of the structure of, of the, um, you, you know, the, the magnetic parts of our planet, the bits deep down. Um, they suggest that this, uh, this jet stream has been there for hundreds of millions of years, if not longer. And I guess what they are really looking for is clues as to why from time to time, and on a time scale of a few hundred thousand years, the Earth's pole, the Earth's magne magnetism reverses. So what was the North Magnetic Pole becomes the South Magnetic Pole. Um, that is something that's well established. We can tell from uh, the sort of magnetic records in rocks, principally the ones uh, deep down uh, under the bed of the ocean. Um, but the thinking is that it's caused by some sort of interaction between the core of the Earth 
uh, the solid core of the Earth and the, the liquid iron core, and that's actually why the Swarm spacecraft were launched, to try and investigate that. Uh, this is really the first discovery, and it is really a staggering one. It is quite staggering, and, and I wonder if it could answer other questions about the uh, seismic activity of the Earth or uh, volcanic activity, although they, they're quite related. But uh, with that kind of movement, with that kind of um, liquid movement, it... it it surely is having some sort of effect on other aspects of our planet. Yes, that's right. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, the more we learn about our planet, the more we can try and understand all these, uh, the different aspects of it that uh, that have, have, are well observed, like the, the, the um, reversal of the poles, but as yet poorly understood. So uh, this is, um, I think this is fantastic work. Yes, I'm very it, impressed. yes it is. And, it's, and uh, I mean, you talk about the, the temperatures down there and, and, I went down a mine many years ago that was quite deep and it was over 50 degrees when I get to, got to the bottom of the mine and I was down about 370 metres. And, yeah. and and that's just natural heat. It's not because you're down there running engines. It's That's the natural yes, heat. That, right. uh, only 370 metres below the surface. So you don't have to go far down to start feeling the effects. It's, it's, exactly. quite, it's quite warm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, we live um, on a hot planet. And this is uh, this is uh, a liquid iron, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm. Um, so the core is is iron and and with some nickel in it, but iron is the principal component. Uh, as I said, the solid core and the liquid core, well established by seismo uh, seismologists. Uh, but uh, yes, as, as time goes on, uh, I mean, maybe we can say watch this space because the swarm uh, satellites might themselves reveal other things about about the Earth's core. Yes, indeed. And uh, we, we must be nearly due for a flipping of the magnetic field, are we? Um, some people reckon um, within the next thousand years, but mm. it's really, you know, it's it's. It's hard to tell. The, the magnetic field is certainly reducing at the moment, Okay. Uh, very slowly, but yeah. More to come. More to come, yes, exactly. Indeed. You're listening we'll to Space Nuts. We'll in a thousand years. When, uh, <laughs> when, when it happens, Space Nuts will be there to tell you all Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. That's the plan. <laughs> yes, indeed. You're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Zero G and I feel fine. Space Nuts. Okay, Fred, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, Dwarf Moon series now. Uh, series uh, has been around for a while. Uh, it's one of the larger objects in the outer reaches of our solar system uh, and now they've and along with many other things that we have been starting to discover about Ceres and Pluto and all those uh, amazing places uh, something's come to light that uh, is I suppose a little bit of a surprise. Uh, that's correct, Andrew. Um, so you're quite right that um, Ceres has been around for a while. Uh, it's been around for 4.6 billion years, which is the age of the solar system. Yes, but so. we haven't known about it for that long, have we? <laughs> 1801, it was discovered. It okay. was the first of the first of the asteroids to be discovered, and, and was thought to be a planet actually. Um, discovered uh, actually on the 1st of January 1801, the first day of the of the new century. If you take the the 01 year as the the, the first year of the new century. Um, it, uh, as I said, it was thought first to be a planet. Then, uh, over the next uh, few decades, other bodies were discovered in the same neck of the woods, uh, and they, it was recognised that Ceres was actually quite small, 
Uh, it's about a thousand kilometres across, uh, roughly. Um, that's smaller than most planets. Uh, and it was realised that there, there were many other objects being discovered out there. And it was actually William Herschel, the great uh, German turned British astronomer, who uh, christened them asteroids. He gave them the name asteroids. Oh, did he? Because um, it wasn't really known what they were. And it was clearly something between, uh, between um, you know, a, a planet and, and, a, and a meteor. So asteroids uh, uh, in the main belt, which is lies between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter, um, they are very, very numerous. There would be millions of them if you count them, you know, down to the smallest sizes. And the biggest one is Ceres. Um, but we now call Ceres a dwarf planet. And that's because it's big enough that its own gravity has pulled it into a spherical shape. Mm. Why isn't it a full-blown planet? Uh, that's because in order to be a planet, you've got to have cleared your neighborhood of other debris uh, gravitationally. You've got to have kicked stuff out or actually absorbed it. And Ceres hasn't done that because it sits right in the middle of the asteroid belt. So it's, it's clearly yeah, surrounded it's by... It's got a messy bedroom, that's what you're saying. Uh, that's, that's right, a lot of other stuff. <laughs> so it's, it's messy bedroom means that it can only be counted as a dwarf planet. But mm. it's of great interest and has been orbited um, for more than a year now by a NASA spacecraft called Dawn, which has sent back the most remarkable images of, of a world that's pockmarked with craters, as, you, as you'd expect, but also has rather unexpected bright spots on it. Um, in one of the craters, I think it's called a Carter crater, has, uh, has a, a couple of really bright splodges in the middle of it, uh, which were very obvious on, uh, on the images that Dawn was sending back as it, as it first approached Ceres and have now been analysed. And we now know that they are actually salts. They're um, probably, uh, probably Epsom salts, which yeah. I think is magnesium sulphate, if I remember rightly. Um, it, so that they're, they're salts that have, that have appeared because, and this is the, the new bit, um, they were basically dissolved in water more accurately dissolved in water ice mm. and as that water ice was exposed to the harshness of space it uh, it did what ice does in a vacuum it basically turns straight into a vapor doesn't turn into a liquid so the the ice component vaporized and left these bright crystal deposits on the surface of Ceres um, what is really new though about the research and what's being you know um, sort of uh, touted in the press at the moment the science press is the fact that um, because of the, um, the the way the orbit of the Dawn spacecraft behaves, you can actually get a really good idea of what's going on beneath the surface. Um, and the suggestion now is that Ceres has a rocky core, but overlaying that is a fairly thick uh, layer of ice, water ice. Um, and in fact, they think that the planet is about 10% water, uh, in other words, 10% ice. Uh, sorry, Gee, the dwarf. That, that's a significant amount. It is, yeah. So it is a significant amount. And then over the top of that is a fairly thin layer of of soil, basically, of you know, of uh, of dust and soil. And it's the fact that the ice has leaked through into these craters and then evaporated or or sublimed is the is the technical term for it turning straight into a vapor and left these salts behind. So that tells you that this is a very very briny form of ice um, and the speculation then becomes well is there likely to be between that rocky core and this layer of ice which is really the outer layer of Europa uh, sorry of um, of Ceres is there likely to be an ocean between them as there are on uh, we now know six other objects in the solar system that have 
uh, an ocean beneath an icy surface. Mm. Maybe even seven, because Pluto might be the same sort of structure. Yes, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and um, the, the yeah. fact that there's this sort of slushy type effect um, possibly on, on Pluto. Yeah, so so it's possible that um, Ceres has this structure too, which seems to become becoming um, almost commonplace, uh, something that uh, a decade ago we would have thought, well, two decades ago anyway, we would have thought was staggering, staggeringly unlikely uh, to have moons like uh, Enceladus and Europa out there around uh, Saturn and Jupiter um, and uh, a world like Ceres uh, that uh, that might well have uh, a rocky core, an ocean, liquid ocean, and then ice on top. So this might be the normal way that you find objects in the solar system and planets themselves, like the Earth, are actually more of a rarity. Well, yes, and uh, we've we've found it with Mars, haven't we? we uh, I think uh, you and I spoke about uh, the discovery of ice on Mars, and uh, I think at one point there was a calculation that suggested if you melted the entire um, ice field on on Mars, you'd cover the planet in two feet of water. I mean, that's right. That's staggering, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's. Um, I think actually, it's even more spectacular than that. I think there's enough ice in the in the Antarctic uh, polar cap of Mars to cover the whole planet to a depth of eleven meters. If eleven meters. Wow. Yeah, I think that's right. An average depth, that is. Um, of course, the the Earth. Uh, you know, in spite of what I've just said the, uh, a couple of minutes ago, the Earth does have this sort of structure because it's a rocky body with a, a liquid water ocean on top. And the reason why we don't have ice on top of that is that we are in a region of the solar system that Goldilocks allows water, zone. water to remain liquid. Exactly, the Goldilocks yeah. zone. So we do have this structure too, but not uh, in quite a spectacular way as these other worlds like Titan, Enceladus, Europa, um, uh, Callisto, these are worlds that are thought to have an, an absolutely global ocean of liquid underneath the ice, um, which tells you that there's a lot of water there. And water clearly is very common in the solar system. And water means life. And you just oh, got it. It just opens that question yet again. Could there be life on any of or all of these places? And the answer is maybe. Maybe, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, you've been listening to Space Nuts, and we haven't finished yet. We've got a, a little bit more to go uh, on our Christmas edition on um, of Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and, of course, Fred Watson. Okay, we checked all four systems and being with a go. Space Nuts. And finally, uh, Fred, on Space Nuts, we're going to talk about Peggy. Now, this isn't the Steely Dan song. Uh, this is a small moon of Saturn that was discovered in 2013 and then it vanished and now it's reappeared. It's They should have called it Elvis. Well, uh, hold that thought, Andrew, because <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there, there is a musical connection here. Okay. Um, but um, the story itself is not musical. It's, uh, it's a moon of Saturn which... Uh, has been christened Peggy, and I honestly don't know why that name stuck. Um, uh, and um, it's really um, one of those things that I haven't been able to find out, but I will do. Uh, who called it Peggy? Um, Peggy is um, a moon, you might actually call it a moonlet, uh, a very small moon, mm. uh, because um, it is only about uh, a, a kilometre and a half wide, uh, and it's basically on the edge 
of Saturn's main ring, the, the, the ring that we all think of. Saturn has many sets of rings, but the one we all always think of and the one we see when we look at Saturn through a small telescope, that is where Peggy resides. And it was discovered about three years ago, uh, and it was picked up by the Cassini spacecraft, which of course is still orbiting Saturn and doing great stuff. Uh, 2017 will be its final year. It's gonna crash into uh, the atmosphere of Saturn uh, later in the year. But um, the uh, Cassini spacecraft sent back images of the ring system that showed this little brightening, a little bright spot on the outer edge. Um, and the thinking was that this is a moon in the process of formation because the rings themselves are made of icy boulders, a lot of ice there, a lot of um, rocks and lumps of dirt and things like that, ranging in fact to, to literally to dirt in size. Um, so uh, the, the rings are uh, a particulate is, is the technical term. But uh, Peggy looked as though it was uh, in a place where just the sort of gravitational mix of Saturn and the gravity of the rings themselves pulled material into um, a, a stable state so that you were starting to get what we call an accretion, a buildup of, uh, of material that um, would be the making of a moon. However, <laughs> the... Uh, There's always uh, one of those. Yeah, the, there, was, there is one of those. Um, the uh, moon... Uh, sort of disappeared um, in 2014. It was discovered in 2013. Um, in 2014, uh, Cassini could not see this same uh, bright point in the rings that was um, the, 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 the moonlit uh, Peggy. And so the speculation was that Peggy had either uh, basically been kicked out into uh, into space by gravitational interactions, or maybe had broken up mm. and sort of gone back to its, you know, its uh, its origins as uh, as just debris in the in the ring system. Um, however, um, the new observations suggest that it's a little bit more straightforward than that. Um, it looks as though the moon the, the moonlet is there, Peggy is there, but there is something else around as well. And the suggestion is that there was a collision uh, in 2005 with some other bit of debris that pushed Peggy into further into the, the ring, um, the ring of Saturn, but also broke it in half uh, so that another chunk uh, basically either was, uh, you know, expelled from the ring system or, or broke it up into small particles. So basically Peggy split into two. Um, one half of it is being called Peggy A, and the other half is being called Peggy B. Oh dear! <laughs> but um, actually, I, I liked uh, I liked the comment of one of the people who actually uh, left a, an email comment on this story, uh, because there's a little poem which I'll read to you, and it, it's this: uh, Peggy, Peggy broke in two. Subsequently, Peggy Sue. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Astronomical humour. So it's not it's not Elvis. Uh, it's it's uh, Buddy Holly that you've got. Peggy yes. Sue. Uh, um, wow! I don't know how to follow that. To be honest, I'm no, I couldn't either. So <laughs> <a bit> perplexed. <laughs> but 
but the, you know the bottom line is that that um, Cassini uh, until September 2017 when it when it becomes uh, defunct Cassini will continue to monitor these rings and we might find more about uh, about Peggy uh, mm. before the end I would imagine that the rings are a pretty volatile environment and there'd be collisions happening all the time exactly that's correct that's right so if something's forming you know it might not have much much time to do that before it just gets blasted apart again yeah um, we we wonder whether the early solar system looked a bit like this, uh, with all this action going on. Yeah, Was but ultimately kind of... gravity did its thing and yes. the formations took place, and here we are, billions of years yeah. later. Mm. That's right. Exactly. And it and it seems that that's exactly how it's been happening, not you know throughout our galaxy, but in our other galaxies, we're starting to find all these similar scenarios where there's a central sun, and planets orbiting the sun it's it just seems to be the norm uh, it looks as though it is that's right we also see um what are called proto protoplanetary disks which are things a bit like the rings of saturn but uh, a disk of material uh, disk of material around a newly a newly formed star so we do see solar systems in the process of formation uh, as well as seeing stars with planets around them so yes yeah. we we um, we are pretty well convinced that um, the solar system is not out of the ordinary, that uh, stars with planets are, are the norm. And as I keep suggesting, life might not be that um, ordinary. Oh, life might be ordinary too. It might just be out there and we just haven't found it yet and, and, and is as common as perhaps ice, dust, yeah. <laughs> um, everything else that we've found that's fairly normal. That's right, yeah. Mm. We'll watch with interest. Indeed. Once again, and as always, Fred, thank you. Thank you for a great year. We've uh, we've been doing these podcasts, uh, well, since uh, early this year, and uh, we'll continue to move into 2017. I want to thank you very, very kindly for um, your generosity and the time you've put into it. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll keep keep on rolling and uh, people will, will continue to find us and enjoy our podcast. We get a lot of good feedback, and uh, so people seem to be very much um, enjoying what it's all about. Uh, that is correct. And uh, I look forward to continuing our uh, discourses uh, for the next few billion years. <laughs> There's always something to talk about. Fred, yeah. thank you once again, and we'll see you next time. Sounds great. Thanks a lot. That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, and he is half of uh, Space Nuts, the astronomy podcast that you listen to every week. We hope. Don't forget to tell your friends. Follow us on Facebook and make sure that you uh, follow also the uh, other podcast in our stable Space Time with Stuart Gary. Thanks again for your company. Have a great Christmas and a happy new year, and we'll catch you again real soon. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. Uh, it's the festive season and uh, we're very much in silly season here at the AAO. Okay. That means you're sitting down having a cup of tea, does it? <laughs> Space Nuts. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America.
Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.